morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. How you guys doing? So good uh, to be with you uh, today. Um, I have the honor of continuing in our series um, that we're calling In Essentials Unity, What Sets Us Apart, Brings Us Together. And uh, last week, Pastor Jared was able to share with us that Jesus is fully human and he is fully God. As Christians, we affirm that Jesus is Lord. And this means, it means that Jesus is Lord. It's, it's our way of declaring Jesus' deity. That Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is with us. The New Testament explains and affirms that Jesus was human just as we are. And the New Testament also explains and affirms that Jesus was different. And one of the critical differences between Jesus and the rest of humanity was that Jesus was without sin. So we continue to, to read that Jesus was sinless, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, God the Father, as our high priest and our advocate. And so today what I want us, for us to do is I want us for, us, for us to double click and to focus in on Jesus' sinless life. Why is the perfect life of Jesus essential to our faith? and essential to the gospel message, especially during Christmas as we celebrate. This essential truth is that when we come to faith in Jesus and when we join his life, that Jesus takes away our sins and he gives us his righteousness. And so for this morning, here's where we're going. First, I want to take a look, for us to take a look at the perfect sinless life of Jesus. Second, the perfect obedient life of Jesus. And third, we'll ask the question, so what? the sinless life of Jesus, the obedient life of Jesus, and this, what does it mean for us today? So what? So as we begin, will you, will you pray with me? Lord, thank you uh, so much that um, you are Lord, that you are with us. May the words that we use this Christmas season, may they just be filled with rich meaning, rich gospel meaning of everything that you are. May we look to you and your truth. May we be guided by your Holy Spirit this morning. May we understand that the gospel is for all areas of our life. And we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first, Jesus lived the perfect sinless life. The perfect sinless life. Jesus did nothing wrong. Think about that for a second. Jesus did nothing wrong. And so what does it mean that Jesus did nothing wrong? Simply, it means that Jesus never sinned during his lifetime. He never missed the mark, and he always hit the bullseye. He lived a perfect life. The sinlessness of Christ is taught throughout the New Testament. Uh, this past week, I got to teach um, our preschoolers. They started chapel this, this year. And uh, Audrey, yeah, what's up? And uh, I got to uh, teach on uh, Gabriel when he visited Mary um, and predicted Jesus' birth. And my time limit was seven minutes. <laughs> it's really nice. I mean, you can do seven minutes. I hope to do like maybe nine or ten for this morning. I hope Jared doesn't mind. But I had seven minutes to explain that Jesus is our joy. And so I talked about how Gabriel was sent um, from Nazareth to Mary. We know the story. And, and we've heard it most likely that, that Mary, um, when the angel got to Mary, he said, Greetings, O favored one, for the Lord is with you. 
And Mary was greatly troubled and afraid. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Mary was quite confused, and she said, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? virgin? And, the Mary, and the angel answered Mary and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore a child will be born, and you will call, he will be called Holy, the Son of God. Holy, the Son of God. Before Jesus' birth, he was called Holy. He was set apart. Later, there were shepherds in the same region, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them again, and they also were afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, this is, this is where the story gets so good, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. God the Father was, was pleased at the life of Jesus. I couldn't shake it this past week as I read John chapter 8, verse 29 through 30. If you're taking notes, write this down. Take a look at this verse. John chapter 8, verse 29 through 30. It says this, and he, Jesus, and he, God the Father, Jesus is speaking, who sent me, God the Father is with me, Jesus says. He has not left me alone. And Jesus says, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I always do the things that are pleasing to him, Jesus says. And as he was saying these things, many people believed in him. In Jesus, we get to see the holiness and perfection of God on display. In the gospel books, we see Jesus' holiness, how he's separated from sin and his righteousness, how he's always doing what is right, and how God the Father is always pleased with the works and the word of his beloved Son. Jesus did nothing wrong, and he did everything right for the Father's glory. We see the perfection and the goodness of Jesus throughout the New Testament like we saw in Luke chapter 1, even before Jesus was born, he was called holy. When Jesus grew up in Luke chapter 2, verse 40, he grew up strong with wisdom. God's grace and favor was upon him. Even Jesus' close friends, John, in John 3, 1 John 3, 5, says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. Another one of Jesus' close friends, Peter, in 1 Peter 2, 22, says, He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. In John 6, 69, Peter says, And we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Hebrews 9, 14 describes Jesus as without blemish. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. In the book of Acts, he's called the Holy One, the Righteous One. Pilate, Herod, the thief on the cross, the centurion, all declared Jesus' sinlessness and his innocence. Pilate said three times, 
that he found no fault in Jesus. Even Pilate's wife says, don't have anything to do with this innocent man. The thief on the cross said, this man has done nothing wrong. And the centurion, after Jesus died, said, certainly this man is innocent. And there's more. Even Jesus said himself in John chapter 8, verse 46, when he was confronted with religious leaders, he openly and plainly invited them to recall any of his sins. He said, which one of you convicts me of sin? Or which one of you can charge me of any sin? Basically, he's saying, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? And no one replied, because only a sinless person could make such a claim. And on top of this, we never read anywhere in the New Testament. We never see Jesus asking for forgiveness on his own, ha- on his own behalf, and we never see him confessing his own sin. Jesus never sinned. Jesus was perfect in every way. Two weeks ago, Jared talked a lot about sin and the human condition. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in our actions, in our attitude, and in our nature. And then we see Jesus. Jesus was sinless, perfect, meaning that he completely possessed all the excellent qualities of God because he was God. And so when we failed, and when we fail, he is faithful. Jesus is fully God and fully human. And being fully human, he was tempted just like you and me. And Luke chapter 4 records Jesus' temptation. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. He was tempted by the devil and ate nothing during those days. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, And when the devil had ended every temptation, after 40 days, he ate nothing. And the devil had ended every temptation, it says. The devil departed from him until a more opportune time. Every temptation. So was Jesus tempted in this way? Yes. Was Jesus tempted in this way? Yes. Think of a temptation. Was Jesus tempted in that way? He was. He experienced it more than you and I can ever imagine. A key verse is in Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. And so when Satan tempted Jesus in the desert for 40 days, he failed. Many attacked Jesus, including Satan, and tried to subvert God's plan of redemption. Many attempted to disqualify Jesus. And yet nothing will ever disqualify or ever will disqualify our sinless Savior. Amen? He didn't give in to selfishness. He didn't give in to envy. He didn't give in to pride. He is the light of the world, representing moral truthfulness and moral purity. And so what is the conclusion? The scripture, as we've seen and dived into these texts throughout the New Testament, we see that Jesus was without sin and did nothing wrong. There is no evidence of his wrongdoing, and we hold this together as a church as an essential to our faith. And so some might have questions, and I, and I have questions, and, and I, I picked some of the top three, and, and they're this. If Jesus did not sin, then was he really truly human in the first place? After all, the Bible is clear that all have sinned. And one answer to this is that before Genesis 3, before the fall and sin entered the world, there's Genesis 1 and 2, where God created, and he created things good. So Adam and Eve were truly human before they sinned against God. God did not create humans sinful. He created them holy, and he created them righteous. One author writes that there have only been three pure humans 
Adam and Eve before the fall, and Jesus. Yes, we have all sinned, but there is one exception, Jesus, his sinless life. Jesus' sinlessness doesn't make him less human, it makes him more human. It makes him the perfect human, the perfect God-man. Another question is, could Jesus have sinned? Could he have sinned? The Bible makes it clear in James 1, verse 13, that God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. One author writes this, and it's, it's really well put. There were genuine struggles and temptations for Jesus, but the outcome was always certain. Jesus is not only as human as we are, he is more human. Our humanity is not a standard by which we are measured to his. His humanity, true and unadulterated, is the standard by which we are to be measured. Third question is, does a person who does not give in temptation, do they really feel that temptation? Which is more difficult, to sin or not to sin? Leon Morris argues that the person who resists knows the full force of temptation. Sinlessness points to a more intense rather than a less intense temptation. He writes, the one who yields to a particular sin has not yet felt its power, its full power. The one who has given in, he who is given in while the temptation has yet something in reserve, only the man who does not yield to a temptation knows the full extent of that temptation. Only the man who does not yield to a temptation knows the full extent of that temptation. So, unlike Jesus, we have not felt the full extent and power of temptations like he has. Jesus was truly human. He was sinless, and he knew the full extent and power of temptation, making him more human, not less. And this is good news. The first part, not only did Jesus live the perfect sinless life, he did nothing wrong, but he also did everything right. He did nothing wrong, but he also did everything right. Second part, Jesus lived the perfect, obedient life. The perfect, obedient life. He did everything right. To be righteous is to be free from guilt or sin. Jesus did everything right. Can you think about that? It means Jesus always does what is pleasing to God the Father, and Jesus did everything right in how he fulfilled the law. Let's focus in on that. Fulfilled the law. At the end of Jesus' life in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He's kept his commandments and abide in his love. And Mark, one of the scribes, the teachers of the law, said to Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? He was asking, what does God want? What is the proper response our responsibility to God. And Jesus said this in verse 29. The most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus did everything right in how he fulfilled the law. Jesus loved God with all his heart. He loved God with all his soul and his mind and his strength. He loved his neighbor perfectly, taking our sins and imperfection and giving us his righteousness. And so what is our responsibility to God? Our responsibility is to trust Jesus, to put our faith in Jesus, the one who fulfilled the law. Jesus not only knew what God desired, he lived as God desired. 
Jesus perfectly loved God and others was our perfect sacrifice, sinless, and he was obedient to God the Father. So Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus also fulfilled all righteousness, all righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right and that he himself is the final standard for what is right. Romans 5, 19 through 20 says this, For as one man's disobedience, that many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, Jesus, that many were made righteous. Even during Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist tries to prevent Jesus from getting baptized. He knew that Jesus was the only one to take away sin. He knew Jesus' sinlessness. And in Matthew chapter 3, John tries to prevent Jesus, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us, us, to fulfill all righteousness. What does it mean that Jesus was sent to fulfill all righteousness? What does that mean? R.C. Sproul says it this way. To the Jew, that meant that Jesus obeyed every jot and tittle of the law. You see, Jesus is not acting in baptism for himself, but for his people. And if his people are required to keep the Ten Commandments, he's required to keep the Ten Commandments. If his people are required to submit to baptismal rituals, he submits to it in their behalf. At the end of Matthew chapter 3, in verse 16 and 17, we see that Jesus, that God the Father says, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased, with whom I am well pleased. And so what is the conclusion? That Jesus fulfilled God's instructions and lived the righteous life. And we hold this essential to be true. And it's an essential of our faith. That Jesus lived the perfect sinless life. He also lived the perfect obedient life. And so what does that mean for us today? We kind of had to dive into these two points. What does that mean for us today that Jesus did everything right and he did nothing wrong? What does that mean? We're reminded that without Jesus' life, we can have no confidence in his death. Without Jesus' life, we can have no confidence in his death. Without Jesus' perfect, sinless, obedient life, we can have no confidence in his death. Just as we can have no confidence in Jesus' death without his resurrection, we can have no confidence and hope in Jesus' death without his life. We need all three, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so, so what? What what does this matter for us? That's great that Jesus did these things, but what does that mean for us? It means that you are fully accepted by Jesus. Sometimes that's really hard to believe. Really, really good news that you are fully accepted by Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, his perfect life of obedience has been given to you, has been given to me. His righteousness has been given to you and to me. You are fully accepted by Jesus. Where we disobeyed, Jesus obeyed. Where we failed, he was faithful. When we were wrong, he was right. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Sproul 
also says that if all Jesus did was die for your sins, if all he did was die for your sins, that would remove your guilt. And that would also leave you sinless in the sight of God, but not righteous. Yes, you would be innocent, but not righteous because you haven't done anything to obey the law of God, which is what righteousness requires. The standard of heaven is not only sinless perfection, but also perfect obedience. God is perfect, holy, and just, and without sin. So, so what? What does this mean for us? This means that, that since Jesus is without sin and is right before God, we really do have a Savior, able to take our sin and able to give us his righteousness. Jeff Vanderstelt writes this, By faith in Jesus, you and I are saved from the need to live a perfect life to gain God's approval. We are saved from the need to live a perfect life to gain God's approval. Paul says that our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3. 3. That means by faith, you and I have trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the one who is perfectly obeys God on your behalf. God sees Jesus' performance and not yours, and he accepts you because of Jesus. We are not we are saved from the need to live a perfect life. God sees Jesus' performance as yours. He accepts you because of Jesus. How amazing is that? That is some good news. Jesus obeyed God the Father in everything he did. He did everything we didn't and couldn't do. Jesus took on human flesh, lived, died, and rose again. And so a, a final word as, as we close final word is this. Stop trying to be Jesus. Stop trying to be Jesus. You see, Christians, and I, I've been there, I still wrestle with this sometimes, we can easily fall into the trap of thinking that our obedience is what is needed in order to earn God's favor. But it's not what we do not what we haven't done that gets us into heaven, into a relationship with God. And Tim Keller, in my life in college, he's helped me with some, some things of how to, how to flesh this out. And he talks about how there can be two people in the church. They can just sit side by side with one another, and they can believe the same things about Jesus. They can both say that Jesus is Lord, that he is with us, that he is Messiah, and yet live radically two different lives. There could be one that says, yes, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I also try to obey in order to be accepted by God. And the other says, yes, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I'm immediately fully accepted by God, and therefore I obey. Which order are you living in? Which order are your friends who know Jesus living in? Are they living in, I believe, try to develop a record of righteousness, and then I'm saved? They live in, I believe, I'm saved and get a record of righteousness, and therefore I obey. We don't believe in Jesus and try to obey to be accepted by God. We put our faith and trust in Jesus, and we're fully accepted by him. And out of that acceptance and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we obey. And there's a big difference those are two radically different, different motivations. One still makes you savior 
and one makes Jesus Savior. Tim Keller, he argues that most people live in the old order and not the new order of the gospel. And what is the gospel? That you are justified. You are put right not by your works, your good works, your not saved by your obedience. You believe and are saved, and then you obey. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. We have been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You are fully accepted by God if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He takes your sin and he gives you his righteousness. It is not our job to be Jesus. It's not our job to be Jesus. Our job is to believe in Jesus, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And then this morning, if you, today, if you haven't, if you're watching online, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that life is available to you. It's available to you. It's free gift given to you. And this morning, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you're part of this church family, I want to remind you that God loves you perfectly and fully in Christ, and that you are fully accepted. And that is some good news that we can celebrate. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you so much, Father, that uh, we can kind of just work through this text. So many texts throughout the New Testament that point to your perfect Son, your righteous Son. As we continue, Lord, just to celebrate this Christmas season, may we be reminded, Lord, that you did it all. May we be reminded, Lord, that we put our faith and trust in you and we are fully accepted by you and out of that acceptance, Lord, we obey and follow you. Thank you so much for this church family. I pray you continue to unify us as we focus on the essentials of the gospel, as we sing your praises. We love you. We thank you. Draw near to us again today. In Jesus' name, amen.